For moms, raising sons is hard, and homeschooling them is even harder, especially navigating that time period when they pass you in height. Why is that? Physically, yeah, I was, I was bigger than you, so you know, going all the way back to just kind of primal instincts, like, okay, if I'm bigger than something, that means that I don't have to listen to whatever it is that is smaller than me. <laughs> um, and, and it's a very stupid way to go about life, but <laughs> nevertheless, that's just kind of what I think unconsciously kind of came out. That's the way Jonathan, my oldest, explains that challenging time between mother and son. By the grace of God, we made it through that transition, and we have a great relationship now because we were both willing to learn some hard lessons. And today, I'm passing some of those lessons on to you. You're listening to Beyond Curriculum, a podcast series about something often missing from the homeschool conversation, the perspectives and values that make it possible to cultivate lifelong learners. And I'm your host, Julie Moore. This is the fifth episode, which means we're about halfway through season one, where we've been talking about the surprising changes a mom faces when she steps across that line and becomes a homeschooler. One of them is learning how to homeschool a student that in many ways she can never truly understand, her son. Hear me moms, there may be no greater challenge than this one. But I can share with you a few of my hard-earned lessons to make that job just a little easier. Homeschooling lesson number one, boys are not defective girls. I'm Christina Hoff Summers, the American Enterprise Institute for Prager University. As psychologist Michael Thompson has aptly observed, girls' behavior is the gold standard in schools. Boys are treated like defective girls. As our schools become more feeling-centered, more competition-free, more sedentary, they move further away from the needs of boys. You may remember from episode one that shortly into homeschooling Jonathan, I started getting what I called pushback. Jonathan had had enough. As a five-year-old little boy, he didn't want to spend any more time sitting still at the dining room table, poring diligently over beautiful workbook after beautiful workbook. I didn't realize at the time that this was pushback. I thought it was discipline problems, rebellion, power struggles, laziness, a refusal to apply his bright little mind to the learning at hand. Even though we had chosen to homeschool, in our first few years, I was really just doing school at home, the way I had been educated in the classroom, the feminized classroom. Around that time, Dr. James Dobson published his book, Bringing Up Boys. That was the first time I realized that what I thought was ungodly behavior was really just boy behavior. If you have sons and haven't read this book, I encourage you to do so as soon as possible. Let's face it, we moms have no idea what it's like to be a boy in a very female-oriented world. Boys tend to be disorganized and restless. Some have even been known to be noisy and hard to manage. Sound like any boy you know? Boys need to work off their energy. They need to be free to play games they enjoy. And keeping them cooped up and inside all day will not help them learn. 
Glimpses of this reality could be heard in the dinner conversation from episode four as Jeff briefly explained some of his personal motivation for our family to homeschool. There for a period of my life, got really not good grades and was a discipline problem only because I was bored or because the way things were being offered or presented, it wouldn't hold my interest and I would just tune out. That memory really helped motivate how we wanted to homeschool, or that we wanted to homeschool. And I mean, I was fine. I think I came out reasonably okay. But, you know, I just wanted y'all to have the opportunity to learn in a way that made sense to you. Did you know that boys' brains actually go to sleep if they're still for too long? It's true. So over the years, I learned to schedule regular active breaks where they had to get up, walk around, grab some water, do a chore, lift something heavy, and wake those brains back up before continuing with their work. If we could learn actively, we did. They were allowed to play with quiet toys while listening to a read aloud. They were allowed to pace and read to themselves. There were very few lectures, worksheets, or questions, and lots of discussion and real-world projects to connect the ideas they were exploring having the opportunity to tangibly experience something and figure stuff out for myself is fundamental to the way that I learn and things that I really like about myself um, and skills and spiritual gifts that God has given me that would not have developed the same way. Mm -hmm. And I would not be the person that I am had we not chosen to homeschool. Homeschooling lesson number two. Teenager is a modern concept. The first occurrences of the word teenager being used in literature start around 1940. So for more than 5,000 years before, there were children and there were adults. Every age and culture had their own rites of passage, but in general, it was as straightforward as that. I have no doubt that the cultural rise of the teenager started from a place of parental devotion. In post-World War II America, parents wanted to protect their kids from having to grow up too fast. And with new technology like cars and TVs combined with newfound prosperity, the teenager was granted all the privileges of adulthood in exchange for only carrying the responsibilities of childhood. And for the past decade or so, this stage has even crept into adulthood with the new term adultolescence. Think Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker in Failure to Launch, and you've got the idea. Take out the papers and the trash, or you don't get no spending cash. If you don't scrub that kitchen floor, you ain't gonna rock and roll no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't talk back. Just finish cleaning up your room. So, taking our cues from ancient Jewish culture... We made it our family goal that our sons would be capable of managing modern American family life responsibilities by the age of 13. They would be able to put in a man's day of physical labor, do all of the heavy lifting home chores like mowing the lawn, have basic cooking and laundry skills, know how to relate appropriately and with kindness toward women and children of all ages, And understand that dating leads to marriage, so there's no point in spending time on that if you're not anywhere near ready to support a family. First, prepare your field, then build your house. First the horse, then the cart. Build your house from the foundation up, not the roof down. This was a tricky transition. In Texas, we have this saying, you can fall off both sides of the horse. 
We can fall off the horse on the side of keeping our kids dependent on us, or we can fall off the horse on the side of letting our kids become too independent too soon. Either way, we've fallen off the horse. But interdependence? Well, that's a great goal to aim for. And that leads us to consider homeschooling lesson number three. The apron strings are loosened, not cut. I think that that changes the mom's approach to how they still maintain the correct place in their son's development, Mm -hmm. um, but then not crush the spirit of the son. Right. Because my independence is something that I highly value, and it's something that has done me a lot of good. And it's something that you need as a man. Yes, yeah, yeah. I need to be able to exist and function without mom. I I need to be able to to do that. That obviously needs to be tempered with, I need to be able to team with others and I need to be around people that will help guide me and keep me in line. Mm -hmm. Um, But from a functional standpoint, just being able to balance that transition in the teen years of going from full dependence on mom for everything to starting to take over different things for myself. A lot of this shows up in parenting scenarios, but the way we homeschool can support and reinforce what we're trying in the other areas of life, too. So practically speaking, in the early years of our schooling, it looked like this. So you were a teacher in that you gave me stuff to do and taught me the principles behind it, but then you would just, you would go and I'd sit there and just do whatever it is that I was working on. Me not sitting right there with my sons, but holding them accountable for responsibly completing their assignments, gradually developed them into independent learners. Sure, there were times when academic progress meant I needed to stick a little closer as they adjusted to working at that new level, usually around 4th, 6th, and ninth grades. But once they made the adjustment, the responsibility for learning was put squarely back on their shoulders, and that made the next stage possible. But eventually a point came when I realized if I'm going to learn these things, I really have to take that responsibility for myself and go and figure these things out. There's not just a person available who has all of the answers. Mm -hmm. And so if I want to, to learn that thing, it's really going to be on me to figure that out. That, I think, was the first steps towards making us lovers of learning was that transition of you're not going to be able to give us all the answers that we want and need. Mm -hmm. There are things that we have to learn on our own, Mm -hmm. and that is a good thing. That is a good thing, and it's so exciting to watch. I say it's so exciting. I've talked to a lot of moms who walk through this time in their son's lives with fear and worry and fear and anxiety and fear in regret, and did I mention fear? The difference between moms who respond to this stage with fear versus the ones who see it as exciting seems to be directly connected to how they view their sons, as the little boys they've seen grow up, or the future men they see them becoming. Which leads us straight into homeschooling lesson number four. We're raising men, not boys. Men need to be prepared to live their lives well, To make good decisions, to follow, to lead, to sacrifice, to protect, to hold the line, to make the most of the opportunity. And the way we educate them has a huge impact on how well they do those things. 
If we train our sons to sit still, do what they're told, and not make waves, we teach them it's not safe to fail, which means it's not safe to try. And that is how passive men and lazy adult adolescents are made. My goal was never for you guys to know facts. It was to love learning, to be just absorbing knowledge, not that you could regurgitate a fact. Mm -hmm. But for you to understand concepts was more important. And then with that, it was never my goal for you to be smart. It was my goal for you guys to be wise. It's, it's not about can you pass a test to show that you can absorb facts. And those things are important to know. But it's the <clears throat> concept of citizenship. It is the concept of being a productive member of, of society and, and, and the country and to be a productive Christian. What does that look like? You know, to have faith and to work hard and, uh, and to serve others and to serve God. Boys and men are like trucks. They handle better on the road if they have something of a heavy load to weigh them down. So how do we do this? We keep our eyes open for training opportunities that often come in the form of homeschooling lesson number five, men need admission and they're made through hard things. As our sons are growing up, they need to be allowed to test their limits. What do they do well? What is a struggle? What brings joy, satisfaction, and energy? What is hard? The draining kind of hard. Some of the answers to these questions are academic disciplines. Others are personal experiences and situations. All are hints at the kinds of missions they're built to accept and those they should not. And figuring these things out is the important work of childhood and adolescence, not waiting until they're grown and it's a multi-thousand dollar college degree decision. And the way they do this important work happens in the context of many discussions that often take place when they're ready to talk, which for some reason is often between the hours of 11 p.m. and 1 a.m., where we raise their sights, vision cast, and help them see what these things look like in grown-up life. We are not all the same product at the end of homeschooling or in the middle of homeschooling. And with people going through the same standard process in public and private education, it can be easy to assume that they're all basically the same kind of person and they are all basically the same kind of personality and all learn basically the same way and all know basically the same things and have basically the same skills. But that's just not accurate. Everybody is very different and unique. Seeing these unique differences from person to person and what that means for their training and development is what I do on a daily basis in my first business as a personal and professional consultant. And season two will be all about helping homeschool moms understand the unique strengths and weaknesses both of themselves and then each of their children. Teaching us all the way that we individually really needed to be taught and learning in a way that was most effective for us individually helped us to learn more about what makes us us and how we personally can be successful. One of the kinds of opportunities I learned to value in my son's lives were the experiences that connected directly to the way real grown-up life works.
For both of our sons, that often included hard, physical, manual labor within a clear hierarchy of leaders and followers. Both Jonathan and Joshua have had several summers of one such opportunity affectionately named SWEAT. It's an acronym for Student Work Experience and Training, and was created by Todd, the student pastor at our church. And though the name accurately summarizes the mission, it doesn't give full credit to how powerful these summers have been in the growth and development of our sons. They started with completely overgrown wooded land, and over the years, they've turned it into a self-sustaining ranch. Here's just a little bit of what it did for Jonathan. Even more specifically, going to the, the student work experience and training events, where we would go out to Todd's ranch for two, three weeks at a time, and it was just all physical labor all the time. And there were, there were some years where I didn't really lead anything and I was just supposed to be a follower, which that was extremely difficult for me because I'm more of a natural leader. So I want to take control of everything that I can. So that was extremely stretching. And then towards the end, um, in my kind of upperclassmen years of being in high school, especially in my last year, I barely picked up a hammer at all <laughs> my last year. Todd's challenge was actually don't pick up a hammer. This time, you know, I, I need you to be leading um, this group. And gradually that expounded into, uh, I need you to be leading this group and this other team. So having to look and manage two different work sites with two totally different projects and setting up essentially my own version of an authority hierarchy. So I had people under me that were kind of the, the foremans for the area and just it was just some really great practical experience that you can actually use whenever you get out into the workforce. Each of the students who have participated in this training have literally put blood, sweat, and tears into that land. And every time my sons came back from sweat, they walked a little taller because of the real-life mission they had completed with excellence. It wasn't easy. For them or for me, it took courage for me to send them away for three weeks at a time, often over Father's Day, knowing that they were working with serious power tools around poison ivy and copperheads, and having some experiences they all agreed the dads would find pretty cool, but the moms probably didn't need to hear about. And that's because, perhaps, the hardest lesson for a mom to learn is the second half of this one. Men are made through hard things. Tough love is a huge part of raising sons. Moms naturally spend a lot of energy and resources trying to prepare the path for their kids when the better choice is to focus on preparing your kid for their path. That may sound like I'm talking in bumper sticker, but this is a very important point. There's a popular blog post floating around Facebook right now titled, Stop Doing These Eight Things for Your Teen This School Year. On the list are things like waking them up in the morning, doing their laundry, and bringing their forgotten items to them. Compare today's teens that make this kind of post necessary to the teens and preteens in the pages of our history. David, king of Israel, born around 1030 BC, killed a bear and a lion that were after the sheep he was responsible for at some point between the ages of 10 and 14. 
Then he defeated Goliath, a professionally trained warrior who scholars say was likely over nine feet tall. At that point, David was somewhere between the ages of 14 and 16. Nathaniel Bowditch, known as the father of modern-day navigation. He was born in 1773 in Salem, Massachusetts. His formal schooling ended when he was 10. At 12, he was indentured to a ship chandler for nine years. He taught himself algebra, calculus, trigonometry, several languages, including Latin and French, and everything there was to know about sailing and navigation. David Farragut, born in Tennessee in 1801, received his first commission as midshipman on the warship Essex at the age of 10. He participated in the first of many sea battles during this voyage. The Essex was successful and at one point divided its crew into skeleton crews to sail captured ships and enemy crews back home. Farragut was tasked as captain of one of these skeleton crews. When the captured British captain rebelled at sea by threatening Farragut's life, Farragut sent word below that if the British captain appeared on deck with any weapon, he would be shot and dumped overboard. The British captain stayed below deck. Captain Farragut was 12. I'm not suggesting we sign our young sons up for lion-killing, indentured servitude, or warship crews. But there are hard things that will naturally show up in our sons' lives that, if we handle them well, can powerfully shape and strengthen these men in the making. Consider Joshua. Not the Joshua of the Bible. My Joshua, our second-born who had agreed to work two very hot Texas summer days cleaning brick and mixing mud for his granddad to use in a masonry project. After working the first eight-hour day alongside his granddad and another grown man, without shade and without his brother, he asked me if he had to go back for the second. He was exhausted, sunburned, and sore. We talked about the commitment he had made and how his choice to not complete the second day would affect his granddad, who was counting on him. We also talked about how the decision was his and his family would love him regardless of what he chose to do. He was back on the job site for day two, unlike the other man on the same work crew. Joshua was nine. The next lesson is one everything else seems to hinge on. Homeschooling lesson number six. Women want love, men want respect. Said another way, women feel love when they are cherished, helped, and cared for. Men feel love when they are dealt with respectfully. Too many times we moms try to love our sons the way we experience love. We help them, we protect them, we rescue them, but we don't respect them. They get the message they're not competent or capable. At least we don't think they are. And over time, this builds bitterness and resentment in the relationship. I know, I started down this path with Jonathan. Before long, it was tempting to give up on homeschooling, thinking that my son was too much to handle and needed to answer to someone else. Thankfully, I came to understand that it was a simple issue of respect. What we eventually came to understand was that there needs to be a fundamental shift in how the son relates to the mom and the mom relates to the son. I think moms keep looking at their sons as children mm -hmm. and sons feel very much like, wait a minute, 
I'm becoming a man. Mm-hmm. And you're not treating me like a man. You're treating me like a little boy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. And and it happens right during that time because that's, mm-hmm. I mean, physically speaking, yeah. hormone dump of testosterone. So that's, that's going to muscles, yep. high voice deepening. Yeah. You're becoming more the size of your dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, at that point, you're starting to actually really appreciate the action movies where the dude is just an absolute boss and he's just, you know, so at that point, you're you're able to start kind of piecing together your ideals of what a man is. And your mommy's not cooperating. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I think just understanding that it sounds painfully obvious, but sons are not daughters. Yeah. And there is a very significant difference between a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. Yeah. If you had given up, then I would have just kept pressing Mm -hmm. further. And we would never have figured out how to relate as a mother and son while I was in the house. And we certainly would not have figured out how to relate as mother and son now that I'm out of the house. That would have been devastating in more than one way and I don't really want to think too far. <laughs> I know it makes line. me sad to even think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like there would just be so so many very crucial things that would just not have happened or I would not have developmentally because yeah. of that. Jonathan, Joshua and I have worked hard to make it through the homeschool venture. It's safe to say that we didn't just survive, we actually thrived. I still have a lot of my own lessons to learn, now pivoting to being a mom of grown men. And I imagine that that list will never stop growing. I'll never stop learning. So I don't want to end this episode by saying I've got it all figured out, because I don't. I've dealt with circumstances that you may not face, and the same is true for you. Which brings me to our last lesson, homeschooling lesson number seven, we all need a community. You and I are not going to have all the answers for raising successful, competent men on our own. And that's okay. Get advice from families who have raised their sons well. And be willing to share your advice with younger families who are looking to you. There's no need to try to walk this road perfectly or alone when we can support and encourage each other along the way. Editing help for this episode was provided by Jonathan and Joshua Moore and Lydia Wong. We used original music by Jeff Moore, who also produced the episode. You can find links to Bringing Up Boys, the PragerU video, and Yakety Yak by The Coasters in the show notes for this episode. Just go to beyondcurriculumpodcast.com. While you're there, would you consider sharing this episode with a friend? Just click the share button in the top right corner of the SoundCloud player, and you can easily share it with your friends on your favorite social media channels or via email. Special thanks to Jonathan and Joshua for sharing their experiences and perspectives on being homeschooled as men in the making. Next time on Beyond Curriculum, it will be their sister's turn. Find out what we do differently to train up confident young ladies who are equally as excited to launch out into the grown-up world. That's all for now. I'm your host, Julie Moore. Thanks for listening.